Who's got questions for Doomberg now that we got him in the room? <laughs> I'm here. Doomberg? I'm ready. You're here. Hi. Okay. So, does anybody have a question for Doomberg? Raise your hand. Okay, Holden, go ahead, my brother. Holden's a good one, Doomberg. He's smart. Uh, very smart, actually. The question I have is related to what's going on in Freeport, uh, the news today that the close, the yeah. shutdown was going to extend. Um, Stefan, I think this is relevant to you because you keep pointing out Dan Loeb's position in EQT. But if you look at all of the gassy E&P companies, um, I mean, you know, oil just did a big reversal. But if you look at all the gassy E&P companies, they're, they're all down, right? Uh, and they're all down today because I think of what's going on there. But I, I really just wanted to dig into that uh, and and sort of get your sense in terms of what milestones we should be looking for um, to to see a, uh, you know, to have that fully priced in the market. Because I'm not smart enough to really understand how to think about what that does to U.S. supply backup. And, um, you know, because clearly the European gas price is exploding the other way today. Uh, so, yeah, thank you. It's, it's a great question. If you send us a DM, we'll, um, we'll make sure to get you a complimentary set of Doomberg mugs for being a <laughs> subscriber. Um, we, every subscriber is precious. And so, um, really, really appreciate it. Uh, what happened, of course, was huge news this morning. Um, you know, the, what really comes down to is natural gas is not a global market, and it's trying to become a global market. But there are these huge arbitrages that have opened up geographically because of the the lens one has to go to to move it around the world, uh, and it's because it has gas in the name. And um, to move natural gas around the world economically, you need export facilities where you freeze the natural gas to incredibly low temperatures so you can liquefy it. We put it on these incredibly technologically advanced boats called LNG carriers. And then you need a receiving import terminal, what are called um, regasification facilities in the industry. And um, an explosion happened last week uh, at an export terminal facility located in Freeport, Texas, which is right in the, the beating heart of the petrochemical complex of the United States. And that export facility uh, represents 20% of the U.S.'s export capacity um, and represents a key plank in Europe's strategy um, prior to that explosion for trying their level best to wean themselves off of Russian natural gas. And so what you're seeing in the market today is um, natural gas in the U.S., had uh, prior to this, uh, the, the war in Ukraine, while even preceding it, um, the European energy crisis, um, natural gas in the U.S. was historically very, very cheap compared to the rest of the world because it was produced in large part as a byproduct of shale oil production, and we had no place to put it. Um, on an energy content basis, the price of natural gas in the U.S. was and still is incredibly cheap. Just to give you a benchmark, um, sitting here today at 750 dollars per million BTU, that's roughly the equivalent of $50 a barrel oil on an energy basis. It's still incredibly cheap. But last year at this time, it was selling for two bucks a million BTU. So when the explosion happened at the Freeport LNG export terminal, <clears throat> what that meant was gas that had been tagged to go overseas to predominantly Europe and the UK is now stuck here. And that means that the supply demand situation here is changed um, for the negative for producers and um, and for the positive for consumers. And so American consumers and you know people who heat their homes with natural gas this winter are getting a bit of a 
of a reprieve because that supply that had been earmarked to to go over to Europe is now stuck here and can't leave. Um, and so the takeoff capacity for exports has shrunk, which means that the there's going to be, compared to market expectations, a relative abundance of supply domestically. On the flip side, you're seeing um, the Dutch TTF natural gas contract flare up today. UK natural gas is up something like 15% on the news. Uh, it's a real catastrophe for Europe um, and a real boon to Vladimir Putin, um, who now has ever more cards to play um, in the geopolitical game. And one thing that we have been very consistent about in our writing is the need to understand that energy is life and that energy is power and that people want to live and people want to eat and people want to have warm homes in the winter. And we blundered our way into giving Vladimir Putin so much leverage that he convinced himself he could use it and get away with it. Um, and now our ability to respond to that um, miscalculation on his part has been hindered um, because you can't run these plants full throttle like we're doing indefinitely. And this uh, unfortunate explosion uh, is is kind of just what happens when, you, when you're desperately short on these asset-heavy commodities. So I'll stop there. I know that was a bit of a long answer, but that, that's what? As from Europe, oh. can I just interject and, and, and point yeah. out and also get Doomberg's opinion on, I mean, has he seen the news that um, Russia it, has reduced its flow on North Stream 1 by 40% today? They cited yeah. convenient that this has happened today of all days? Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, that this is what happens in a war, right? Um, and, uh, and there's, uh, who knows what was the cause of the explosion that has not yet been um, reported on. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we are left in a position where uh, Putin choosing to do that has a disproportionate and a disproportionately negative impact on our geopolitical objectives, um, which is a theme that we've written about. So if there was a time for him to do it, and I haven't read it, and first I've heard it here, but I, I have no reason to doubt it, um, then of course that, that today would be the day to do it to, to press the edge, right? Um, and so um, we we live in a world in in times of energy shortage. Energy producers have extreme leverage, and, and the U.S. is roughly balanced. The Europe is you know the European Union is short. Um, Canada has abundance. Australia has abundance. China is short. Japan is short, and we're seeing in the currency markets. Um, the, the, the currencies of those who have an energy shortage um, weakening and the currencies of those that have either an excess or are um, quote-unquote independent uh, doing relatively well against the U.S. dollar by comparison. And, and so, yeah, if, if you're telling me that Putin has cut the flows today uh, of all days, um, if you were intending to cut the flows, today would be the day to do it. Hey, uh, Doomberg, we've got uh, one of the, you know, one of the most well-respected oil and gas um, uh, investors I know in Switzerland. Uh, I'm getting him a mic right now. Alexander, are you there? Can you hear us? It's, it's connecting now, and he wants to come up. And we've got Javier here as well and Cantro. Cantro, you have a quick question? You have a question for uh, Doomberg before we go to Alexander? I'm good. Thanks. Cool. Hey, Alexander, how are you? My yeah, friend? fine. Thanks, Friases, for having me. Look, I just quickly wanted to uh, uh, maybe maybe say a word or two of clarification. Thanks, Doomberg, for all you do in the space. And look, uh, what happened today is actually not that the flow stopped uh, from Russia, but it's actually 
that they're going to reduce from 160 to 100 uh, um, uh, million cubic uh, uh, meters uh, per day. Um, and we don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but um, uh, it's because what they claim goes from because of an equipment that they need for maintenance for the Nord Stream pipe, um, and that is not going, not coming from Canada into Europe because of the sanctions. And I think that's all noise. I tweeted about that today, so you guys can look it up. And um, you know, Russia has in the past more or less exactly reduced the flows that Europe was able to increase. Um, on LNG imports, and so that's exactly 24 BCM so far for this year, and now they reduced that a little bit further. To be honest, I'm not quite sure the price action was because of the um, liquid, uh, because of the Shenyang news. I think it was more related to the Gazprom news, um, at least what in, what happens in Europe, and maybe the two have um, have um, you know certainly the news in out of America didn't help, but. You know, that that can be quite a small number. We have to see how it pans out. You know, that can be a 3 BCM number missing, which is Mickey Mouse. So that's not going to make the price today. Where, while as uh, the Russian flow reduction, we calculate could should be a 12 to 15 BCM uh, uh, number because they're probably going to stop the flow quite soon. And then uh, I think that makes the price. I just wanted to add that for, for, for your audience. So let me just point out the fact that we're even discussing it shows who has the power. Um, and that's, that's on us. Like that's our fault. It's not his fault. Um, we allowed ourselves to be put in a position where the whims of somebody else outside of our control and currently our geopolitical opponent can dictate our energy future. And um, regardless of how we got here, we should be, um, proactively taking steps to ensure that we never end up back here again. And, and to be honest, just adding on that, I think that's exactly what Europe is doing. You know, you guys know that I've been very critical about EU energy policy for at least five years now. And um, we also have to give credit. These guys are now working seriously hard on changing a lot. And some of that happens much faster than even I thought. Um, so the regasification terminals in Germany, they, you know, two of them come in probably by January, and that's going to be a record. You know, with all the mistakes they've done without a doubt for the last 10 years, you know, now they really are getting the act to get. So let's give credit to that too. And yes, we are in a difficult situation with Russia, but I think, you know, this will be rectified. Yeah, just a quick uh, note for everybody. Uh, Doomberg puts on a live Zoom uh, uh, talk just for pro subscribers. Uh, if you go to his Substack, there, Substack, click on the pro, uh, the pro button and subscribe. The next one is coming up on the 16th. He does it one early in the morning Eastern and one after work Eastern. He does two just for those who are time, uh, time zone sensitive. Uh, moving on to the next uh, question. I think we had crapitalism. Is that right? Were you next, my brother? Yeah, I was just going to ask on this Freeport stuff. If there to be any evidence at all that there was something nefarious here, what does that look like in terms of escalation? And does it feel at all like we're a little bit closer to an actual shooting match with Russia? Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but um, 
that is the big unknown. So um, in the hypothetical that is in the back of people's minds is that maybe this was like a cyber attack, for example. It's not like there isn't some history in the industry um, in this regard. I think it is an extraordinarily explosive situation if that accusation is made. Um, and it's obviously more explosive if, if that accusation has some credible evidence to support the accusation. Um, let's hope for the prospects of world peace that um, this was a simple industrial accident that happens when you're running at above nameplate capacity 24-7, 365. Um, and let's hope that it's not the result of a of a provable, um, you know, uh, cyber attack, because that would be um, as close to a shooting war type level event um, that you could you could have. And that would be particularly devastating, not just because of the retaliatory nature of what might unfold, but also because um, if it's proven that that can be done, it puts an extraordinarily high risk premium into the energy sector. Um, because we're running so tight and we're running so short, um, that would be a calamity for for many innocent people around the world who are already either over the edge or on the edge of, of personal sort of energy calamities because of the inflationary consequences of, of the current geopolitical situation. And maybe just in addition to that, um, Russia has a, has a history of cutting cables in the North Sea. North sea. Um, Europe has a, tons of, a ton of cables that run between uh, the different countries in Europe uh, that are in the, deep, uh, in the North Sea. And um, in the past, they, uh, some of them have been cut. And um, to my knowledge and to reports that I read three months ago, uh, the EU as well, or EU countries, NATO and the United States government, gave Russia warning in case they attack again our infrastructure, there will be a declaration of war. So it would be in the case, my view, if the administration is serious, and I think your administration is serious, uh, that will be an escalation of the war. Great. Okay. And they've been, so, sorry, Newberg. You know, they've been pretty quiet on the on the cause of the issue. If you, but and that's again. probably why I think they all want to find it out. If it's true, then uh, there will be an escalation. And just to round out the news of the day, um, when the explosion first happened, the reporting out of the incident was that it would be um, three weeks for it to recover. And if it were only three weeks for it to recover, then it would be a, an annoyance to the system, but it wouldn't be a significant you know, uh, material event, let's say. The news this morning is that um, they're expecting a, quote, partial reopening in 90 days, which uh, considering that LNG, Freeport LNG is 20% of U.S. export capacity, and most of that capacity was going to Europe, and the rest of the U.S. export capacity is largely spoken for. Um, because we have other allies around the world that are also short natural gas, like Korea and Japan. And China being short natural gas means an energy crisis bleeding into all manner of, of really important manufacturing uh, value chains. Um, because we let China take those over, um, this, this has the makings of a real crisis here. Hey, Javier, did you have an energy-related uh, topic? or Because I wanted to ask uh, Doomberg a question about gold. Did you have something there before we move on? No, no, I don't want to add on. These these guys are, they're dead on. Um, I don't want to add to it because I don't necessarily have a differing opinion of it. The only, um, the only addition that I would make uh, 
to to add on to what Doomberg is saying and Alex as well. And for us, and with, with what I do with commercial trading, um, it's really more the regionalization and Doomberg hit it best. We're all letting, not letting, but we are all in a position where, where one person and one group of people are basically writing the playbook and rewriting the playbook and the way the flows have um, um, bifurcated East and West, it's pretty dramatic. This is gonna take years to sort through um, how flows are gonna work. Um, I have no comment on the Freeport LNG. It is going, it very well could, could end up being a massive catalyst for a tough winter um, for Europe. And that's it. Thanks for Aces for having me. Yeah, and, and maybe just in addition to that, Javier, because I think you're spot on. Let me be very clear, and I am mo almost sure I'm right. Russia has lost Europe as a client, and that is for gas, for coal, and for oil. I don't think that's going to ever change. Ever is a big word. I shouldn't have said that, but for a long time. On the timeframes that matter, I completely agree. And the full consequences of, you know, the snake swallowing that, 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 uh, that squirrel have yet to, to make its way through the system. Um, and I think people are still in a bit of disbelief. And um, we're running so tight before. And the rearranging of the ships, you know, and the, um, the, the, the we're, we're, we're the dog that caught the car here, and, and we're about to find out what that means. And by the way, this is not me speculating that much. I mean, you just have to listen carefully and read carefully what von der Leyen is saying, that your commissioner, I mean, it's out there. It's out there for everyone to read. 100%. Hey, hey Doomberg, so I'm looking at gold, and it's getting hammered, silver obviously as well. And, you know, the only thing I can come up with, I'm curious to your thoughts. Um, it's almost like gold is trading against the monetary expectations for the Fed to, to fight off inflation, right? Versus trading on inflation, um, which I think are two big, two, two completely different things. I'm just curious, do you have a feel for what's making this thing, what, what's making the precious metals market tick here? Uh, seems uh, a bit, you know, out, outside of normal here. So I'm happy to pontificate, but I would only do so with the appropriate disclaimer that relative to our knowledge and confidence in our analysis of energy, gold is a relative black box. But we do have some thoughts. But I do want to say that um, compared to our, our anticipated knowledge of what is going to happen because of this LNG explosion in Freeport, you know, how the gold price will swing in U.S. dollars in the next few weeks or months is is a, a distant second, let's just say, um, in our in our skills, um, the U.S. dollar, because of its relative energy independence and its role as a, actually in this case, for example, the swing exporter, um, is holding up quite well. And when the U.S. dollar is strong, especially against the major currencies like uh, the euro and the yen, um, that tends to be um, bearish for the price of gold in U.S. dollars. If you are looking at the price of gold in Turkish lira. Um, precious metals are doing great. Um, we're not the Turkish lira. And the DXY, which is predominantly the yen and the euro, uh, and the British pound, something like 83% of the DXY indexes, those three currencies, all three of those major worldly significantly important currencies, um, all three of those areas are deeply short energy today. And when you're in an energy crisis like we are, 
the currency producers have the, uh, the the energy producers have the upper hand, and the the value add economies that have outsourced their um, their needs for basic primary energy tend to be susceptible. You know, they built this pyramid on top of very shaky foundation of relying on on um, on the Vladimir Putins of the world for their primary energy, and that usually doesn't matter because most of the time the industry overinvests, and you have cyclical excess um and most of the time the cure for high prices is uh induces um incremental investment for new supply in this environment um because of the attack on supply vis-a-vis the esg movement um this seems to be you know this time is different is always dangerous to say but it is certainly unique um and so i would say that the price of gold in u.s dollars is not the price of gold in the currencies that are currently undergoing the majority of the crises. And um, I think we're seeing sort of that kind of a response. Um, and so that that's about as much as I can say. Um, from our perspective, we always sort of start with energy and try to explain things. And, and in our mind, it's not surprising that the yen and the euro and the British pound are weakening against the dollar while the Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar are doing fine. And um, the Russian ruble is is strengthening, and um, the British real is strengthening because these are true sort of calorie exporters. Um, and so that's how we would look at, at the price of gold in U.S. dollars. Brilliant, thank you, my friend. Let's go to Mount Gox, and then we'll go to Gnostic. Yeah, I just have a quick observation: the inverse Kramer strikes again. You, you tweeted five hours ago: oil is not going down, and look what happened five hours ago. <laughs> it's down like six percent. He tweeted that. He literally tweeted at at the high. Yeah, that that's just amazing, amazing. That's not, I would also say at one hundred eighteen dollars a barrel and crack spreads at you know fifty dollars. Uh, the intraday volatility is, while interesting and probably meaningful for people who trade it, uh, doesn't really change our view. Um, for us to to say that the bull market in energy has has crested, we would need to see. Um, a lot more violent moves, capitulation type moves to the downside. And um, you know, as I'm sitting here, the the um, the refiners are looking at a, a a three to one crack spread that's at 54 and change, which means they could pay a hell of a lot more than 118 dollars a barrel for WTI and make um, historically high margins. And so, um, until we see demand destruction on the distillate side, the um, as fun as it is to, <laughs> to poke fun at Jim Cramer, um, and he is, you know really could make a lot of money just baiting them. Um, this is uh, this is just noise, in my view. Can I just quickly ask, because I, I meant to, to follow up with this before, um, with respect to natural gas and what it's doing today and the Freeport situation, et cetera, what would you look for to sort of assess uh, that um, the, the price is overshot to the downside, uh, just given the imbalances that are out there? Uh, because coincidentally- yeah, I mean, LNG is trading, you know, trading up today. I mean, at least it was last I looked. Well, um, that's yeah. because they sell on the international market. And while they might be selling less, they're going to sell at a much higher profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're in a structural shortage and you're the producer and you have a force majeure situation, you end up making an enormous amount of money. This is sort of con- counterintuitive for those that don't have the direct experience in heavy industry like um, like key members of our team do. Um you basically, the, the price elasticity demand is such that small shortages mean disproportionately high increases in price. And so why is LNG trading up today? It's because they're not priced on Henry Hub. They're priced on Dutch CTF and I'm pulling it up and Dutch CTF is $30 per million BTU. 
um, they're capturing that spread. So um, the the exports uh, of LNG are priced internationally, which is why New England stupidly has such high natural gas prices because of the combination of their own resistance to pipelines and their need to import LNG from non-American ports. Uh, they're paying the same thirty dollars per million BTU for their LNG shipments as um, Europeans and and the British are, and so. Um, they'll make it up on price. You know, when you're a commodity producer, price is way more important than volume. And a little bit of volume coming offline means you're going to make it up in price big time. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that um, LNG is up today. Um, it's bearish for local domestic North American natural gas producers who are relying on incremental demand of exports to raise the whole tide. You know, the rising tide raises all ships. There are ships in that tide. And when um, the offtake capacity of Freeport LNG came offline, and for as long as it's going to be offline, and I think the word that spooked the market today is partial, 90 days and partial. Um, when, when the tide um, goes down, they go down with it. And so um, what you have is an isolated, and oh, by the way, just one more point to like, drive it home, the signaling effect of 30, well, I mean, natural gas in Europe traded as high as $65 per million BTU, which is insane. It's 35 times, 40 times what it was trading for here in the U.S. just last year. Um, that kind of arbitrage triggers behavior. And so there's a whole legion of natural gas operators in the U.S. that were trying to take advantage of that. And the choke point is the LNG export capacity. And they were running full throttle. Like uh, we went from not exporting any natural gas 10 years ago to in the past two or three months being the world's leading exporter of natural gas because we had all this stranded natural gas in the U.S. And so um, oil is a global commodity because it's a liquid and it's easy to ship. Coal is an even more global commodity because it's a solid, which is even easier to ship. Natural gas is incredibly hard to ship. It's not a global commodity. It's trying to become one. It's an interesting philosophical question at what level of you know export slash import capacity at what level of intra-market um, arbitrage opportunity do you need to have a global price range where the shipping costs sort of um, define the edges of that range uh, we're not there today clearly because you have natural gas trading at thirty dollars per million BTU in Europe and 750 in the US that's an incredible arbitrage uh, and then there's a whole second order arbitrage of the price of natural gas compared to the price of oil. So natural gas in the U.S. is in, in, a, in Europe is trading at $180 a barrel oil because it has some premium aspects to it relative to oil. Um, in, the, in, in the U.S., like we said, at $750 per million BTU, you're looking at $50 oil. That arbitrage has to close too because these things are largely substitutable. Um, and so it's a really fascinating situation. It's a great, it, it's a, it's a, a set of market dynamics that will be written about in the history books. Hey, um, hey, Doomberg, I, I have some DMs coming in about pro subscriber. Uh, one of them asked if the, if they subscribe now, can they get access to the past uh, the pro subscriber Zoom uh, presentations? I didn't know yeah, what to tell them. Yeah, so um, we we just turned on the payroll last month, and we have a monthly Doom Zoom. And for all pro subscribers who join at that tier, they get all the articles and they also get this monthly Doom Zoom. And we occasionally write short pieces on topics that interest us and they have access to us via, um, you know, via the email. 
Uh, but yes, of course, uh, we um, every subscriber is precious. We we uh, this is the work of our lives, and so um, any pro subscriber who joins and reaches out to us would get the full um, archive of of everything that we've done. Um, you know, uh, to this week, and the and the presentation we're doing on Thursday is is not about energy. Um, it's it's but a whole different thing, but. Uh, we like to mix it up, and, and that pro-tier webinar um, will also feature some pretty high-profile guests in the coming months as well. It won't always just be, uh, you know, a fixed talk from from the Doomberg staff and a, and a wide-open Q&A that is then recorded and sent to the subscribers, but also um, we're going to bring in, we have some plans to bring in some pretty high-profile names um, for um, sort of bespoke Q&A with our pro-subscribers. So thanks for the opportunity to make the commercial. Um, but yeah, so that, that's what Absolutely. Absolutely wouldn't do it if did it if we didn't believe wholeheartedly in what you're doing. Thank you for coming. Uh, Gnostic, you had your hand up. Go ahead, my brother. Uh, yep, okay. Um, sorry, I'm just getting myself a drink here. Uh, Doomberg, uh, I have never said this before in any of these spaces, but you have left me basically speechless because everything I was going to say, you've already said. Oh, yeah? Um, <laughs> and that's very I have, nice of you to say. And well, I, it's like wow. And I wanted to specifically thank you for de-escalating the question about what happened in Louisiana. Um, that is a highly touchy point, uh, which some people in some avenues are trying to build up into something that's bigger than it than it should be. And most people that are doing that, and most people that are listening, don't understand that. You know, when you're running something that complex at those pressures in that excessive capacity, um, something's going to go wrong somewhere. It, it reminds me of that movie, Red October, when the admiral said, there's too many ships with too many guns and too many, too many idiots here, and sooner or later, somebody is going to do something bad. Yeah, and, and, and we, we have that experience, and, and we know the power of Occam's razor um, and yep. it's only because everybody's looking that such, um, I don't want to say the word conspiratorial because that's, that's a loaded word. Yep. Um, it's a natural thing to wonder. And we have acknowledged that that is a natural thing to wonder. Um, Occam's razor would say that if Putin wanted to escalate, there were other ways. Other to things do, right? to do. Yep. Uh, yep. Um, and so uh, until convincing evidence, well, and put it this way, I think the administration recognizes the amount of gasoline that is currently spilled and the danger of letting a match. Yes, yep, exactly. Uh, and so um, we are, we pride ourselves on being responsibly provocative while trying not to be polarizing. Yep, again, I, I just wanted to say thank you, three aces, thank you for saying this was great because that statement is why I stayed in the space. Uh, and otherwise I wouldn't have listened to the green chicken. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Doomberg and I have known each other since before Doomberg was hatched. And of <laughs> all the people in the world that I know, he's in the top five smartest people that I personally know. And I, you know, I've been around the world a few times. Well, so, you, and that's, you and I that's have an talked, odd statement. Yeah, yeah, you and I have talked and just listening to him for this time period, bumped him up there with me. So Doomberg, where do I, where do I go to get a subscription to your service? Are you on Bloomberg at all? No, so we are uh, on Substack, um, and I'm happy to give the commercial because we're capitalists. Um, we write, um, we try to write every four or five days on doomberg.substack.com. Okay. Um, our 
our brand um, is uh, Chicken Little Gets a Terminal. So we are sort of, we would classify ourselves as defensive pessimists. Um, and we write about energy, crypto, um, occasionally geopolitics and the economy at large. Our real strength is in the energy sector. Um, and so when we write pieces that are outside of that, we are, of course, um, in, engaging in speculation. Um, we offer um, to our free subscribers, they get a compelling preview that we hope induces them to pay. Um, but all of our articles are now behind the paywall. Um, our articles are available for either $30 a month or $300 for the year. We prefer annual subscribers because, you know, we're content creators and churn is, is our enemy. Um, but um, obviously not everyone can afford the full annual um, price. And so, but yeah, Doomberg.substack.com and we're on Twitter at Doomberg T. We are very um, active on Twitter. Review Twitter as a separate outlet for our content. And um, and so we, we produce a lot of independent content on Twitter as well. Yeah. Well, I, wanna, I just wanted to thank you for what you said. And you basically summarized in a really quick form and I think excellent description, uh, the movement of gold and the pricing of gold internationally, uh, which is exactly what I was going to say. Um, so I'm left with nothing else to say, but kudos to you. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, no, thank you. I think if, if you go to Doomberg's uh, Twitter profile, there's a link to Substack there up in the right. It's a subscriber button. I'm a pro subscriber. And with the pro subscriber, you get uh, Zoom presentations and stuff that the other subscribers don't get. I highly recommend it. Um, okay. Hey, Mike, you going to come up and uh, carry the torch here with Doomberg for a little bit, or are you going to be shy and stay down there? Who else had a question? Holden, did you have another one? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I think clearly um, it's not coincidental that oil is selling off uh, in response uh, to um, the uh, nonsense about a windfall tax. You know, what, what's your view there, Doomberg, with respect to the game theory behind this? Uh, you know, I, the reflex of this administration to do things related to price controls and windfall taxes is hardly surprising. Um, but um, what would be the expected experience if that were to happen? I assume that they're gaming the, the oil majors in the U.S. and all the producers to churn out more and cut prices and all these things that are non-market oriented. But what, do, what is your, your, your view there? It's great, great question. And it allows me to um, expand a little bit. You know, we just had a little interaction with um, Jared Dillon on Twitter where um, he was, he and Tony Greer had this sort of back and forth about oil. And um, I, I, I subtweeted or responded to a tweet by Jared by saying, political incompetence is part of the thesis. And, and I don't doubt that um, windfall profits tax may be sort of driving the headline today. Maybe somebody just got off, you know, caught off foot. But um, the windfall profits tax or the threats thereof are actually bullish for the price of oil in the medium term once you get past the headline because um, we have a supply problem and um, supply takes a lot of money and a lot of time to come online. And after years of being attacked and denigrated and um, literally threatened with jail time by the current president when he was a candidate, it's no wonder um, that they're hesitant to invest. Now, to be totally fair to the administration, the industry also torched a lot of capital with the shale revolution and they have a shareholder base that um, is looking for a return and that's the way capitalism works and so either we're capitalists or we're socialists are we going to take over these oil companies and force them to drill um, or are we going to create a political environment where maybe we stop threatening the executive of these companies with with jail time 
uh, for simply producing the product that the world needs. 85% of the global energy bill is paid with fossil fuels today. And um, none of the energy choices we have that are palatable to the progressive movement um, offer an energy payback period that uh, allows a path to decarbonization on a time frame that's relevant. Nuclear energy has a six-week payback period uh, as you return on energy invested, but they hate nuclear energy because ultimately, I don't know, they hate life. Um, and so if we can't do nuclear, um, solar has a five-year payback period. If you want to reproduce, you know, replace 5% of our energy needs with solar, you need to take 25% of our current energy budget and deploy it against making solar panels. Um, it, it can't happen. It won't happen. It's physics. And so um, headlines like we're going to simultaneously give stimulus checks, which I understand the motivation to do so, i.e. increased demand, while attacking supply are long-term bullish foil. Now, what explains the $5 drop today is we're sitting here, I don't know, I haven't seen the headlines. $5 drop that we see today is not super relevant to, to me. Um, oil is trading at $117 um, WTI. You know, if you were going to really game theory it out, and this is something we've we've toyed with, but we haven't written about because we haven't really understood it enough to feel confident and put it through our our substack. Um, the spread between Brent and WTI is an interesting thought. You know, if if Biden goes all the way to the, you know, takes that logical progression that allows them to think that a windfall profit tax threat is somehow going to help them, if you take that to the extreme um, and you get to the point where they put a ban on exports, the spread between WTI and Brent could really blow out. Because uh, it'd be the same phenomenon that we're seeing in natural gas, where a previously global market suddenly becomes highly regionalized. And the U.S. gearing up for this energy crisis, you know, trying to produce as much oil as it can, suddenly can't export because of political expediency. You could see Brent blow out. Um, I'm not confident enough in that thesis to write it, and we're just, you know, talking on a Twitter space. Um but that spread um, is, is pretty narrow today. It's three bucks. You know. um, what does the world look like where WTI is 70? And, and because we've not yet kissed and made up with Russia, uh, rent is 140. Um, and if you don't think it can happen, um, natural gas traded for four bucks and natural gas in Europe was trading for 65. The, the ratio of the price, the price of natural gas to the price of natural gas in the US, uh, Europe divided by the US, blew out over 15 before Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, and so that that today, oil is a globally fungible, tradable commodity is, is an artifact of today. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. And if our political leaders decide that um, they must be seen as doing something, um, who knows what they'll do. But I, again, I, I, I'm not smart enough to know because I, have no clue about you know Congress and 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 how these uh, these things sort of work. But I was sort of under the impression that that if they wanted to raise taxes, that it needs congressional approval. Uh, the the president couldn't just do it by by fiat. Um, if anyone knows on 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 the Twitter spaces, I'd be very curious to know what the view is there. Um, well, we wrote we wrote a piece just this morning in the solar sector. Yeah, where, I read that. Um, yeah, um, Biden just decided that he could um, postpone a duty. And mm -hmm. the, the legal footing that he is standing on, we think, is incredibly weak. But it doesn't matter because by the time the courts adjudicate on it, the damage and the signaling impact is done. And we live at a time with, you know, 
COVID uh, medical emergencies in states that were declared two years ago that are still exist. Um, uh, the, the government has decided that they can do a lot um, with um, executive action. And the damage of the attempt at such executive action is long realized before the courts would reverse it. And so um, no company is going to um, openly defy a proposed executive action from the president of the United States when they are governed by the Securities and Exchange Commission, banked by Wall Street, and um, live in this country. They might sue, they might try to overturn it, but until that is done, you kind of have to play by the rules as written. And um, we have an unfortunate recent history of the executive branch um, usurping the power of the other two. And, and so um, when backed into a corner and Biden is backed into a corner, um, who knows what will happen. And so I wouldn't write it off. I, w- I would say that, um, you know, there are certain votes that, you know, are just sort of political theater. Um, when you see a vote in, you know, passed in the House on party lines that has no chance of being approved in the Senate, you can understand what that is. That's just sort of uh, positioning for the next midterm election. But um, the of executive order that Biden laid out last week on the solar debate, which is far more nuanced than the political spin that you would see uh, even in sort of prestigious media uh, reporting of the event, which is why we enjoy doing Doomberg so much because we can take five full pages and give the full history as we personally understand it. Um, when you see executive orders like that, um, you begin to realize that um, uh, there's, there's a lot of possibilities here that are probably not being internalized by market participants. Uh, we've got Michael Green, but he's only listening. Mike, can you want to come up and hammer out the nuclear uh, potential nuclear vision? Uh, he's a big nuclear uh, supporter. Doomberg, is, maybe you can talk a little bit about what fixes this? I mean, obviously, you know, everything that we're talking about here on some level are man-made problems, right, from broken policy. Uh, I know that you're a nuclear bull, you know, and so is Michael Green and stuff. What What is sort of the – where where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Where is where's the green pasture out there? And, and what kind of time frame of, of endured pain do you think we're going to have to uh, live through here for some of this stuff? So the analogy I would use – is um, capitulation in the stock market. We need a political capitulation. The laws of physics define what's going to happen. Um, the laws of, policy, of politics decide when we're going to realize that we are running against the laws of physics. So as we, you know, in our first doom zone, it was called, um, maybe I'll get it wrong, but um, a unified theory of doom, um, life, energy, and currency. And energy is life. And Literally, the human endeavor is a constant, unrelenting struggle against the forces of entropy. And your standard of living is defined by how much energy you get to waste. Um, What's the carbon footprint of the Super Bowl? It's huge. Um, That is an entertainment luxury uh, we afford ourselves because we live in relative abundance compared to most of the world who struggle at the the base of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, Currencies are overlaid over our energy transactions. in a way to try to sort of efficiently and hopefully equitably equitably, uh, distribute the energy profits we produce, the sort of primary energy we harness that we can use to tame the forces of entropy. Um, But in reality, when push comes to shove during times of an energy crisis, currencies don't matter nearly as much as the physical. 
And that's what we're seeing with the response of the Russian ruble, which many people are in denial on, frankly. Um, and so how does this end? What is, what is the path out? The path out is capitulation. We have to suffer a lot more pain before people are willing to part with their sort of political um, fantasies. There's no other, no kinder way to say it. Um, until society categorically rejects the AOCs and the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. And there's just as many on the Republican side that need to go to. But until we categorically reject them, uh, we're not going to get through this. And the danger, the thing that really keeps me up at night, um, is the history of who replaces them when we are sufficiently angry as a society that we rise up uh, is not a glorious one. <laughs> Uh, the path function is not not a positive one. The odds of a um, uh, of an unfortunate outcome, but basically um, sort of strongman totalitarianism, are very very high. Uh, when you have um, your your institutions erode like this, and where everything becomes a political sport, uh, political team, uh, you know, uh, fight to the death, and nobody is thinking for society. Um, historically, the resolution of such situations is not a great one. Maybe can I just add three aces here uh, because I just discussed the topic for, for, for Europe. And, uh, you know, our investment led to 2021 was about the blackout in Europe that is coming. And um, uh, just for uh, to add to Doomberg, uh, I don't think the U.S. has to go through the pain. I think Europe will do it for you. Because I think we, uh, Europe, uh, or at least Germans, Energiewende is doing at the moment everything they can to bring us there. And when I say that, I don't say it lightly, because let me tell you this. Switzerland, the regulator, the electricity regulator, has issued a warning two weeks ago that we now have a high likelihood, don't ask me what that high is, is it a percent or half a percent, I don't know, that we have uh, electricity shortages in Switzerland, the highest GDP per capita country in the world, if you exclude Qatar and, you know, these natural gas gifts. And um, we could get there because France is currently uh, operating only at 50% of nuclear capacity because of maintenance. And Germany obviously is doing what Germany is doing in the experiment called Energiewende. And the combination could mean, because we are net export importers in the winter, could mean that we run short. And now Europe has a, you know, um, an electricity network that is everyone is connected. So it could be that we get there in very extreme circumstances, mainly weather related when it's very cold. And then we see that. And then sometimes these blackouts, if not, uh, you know, these operators are excellent. They really know what they are doing. But if they cannot get hold of it quickly enough, meaning shut down some of the of the network system and then you have it and then they can last seven 14 days and there are books out there and i recommend everyone that listening to that read about what the blackout really is where they say within 14 days out of electricity a society goes back to the stone age so we'll see but i think and i discussed that this morning with a client i think that's when germany changes about nuclear that was the question yeah yeah, um, and I would concur, and, and we're, we are members of the preparedness community, which um, many would, um, would uh, hit with the libelous label of prepper, which I'm actually not ashamed to be a prepper. And the phrase in the, in the prepper community is nine meals to crazy, um, 
we are the least able to respond to a massive change in our energy inputs compared to the generations that preceded us. Um, we are totally comfortable with and have accustomed, grown accustomed to flipping on a light switch and the light comes on, turning on the oven and, and it gets hot, um, pressing a button on our coffee maker and coffee comes out of it. Um, we have become weak, not resilient. We have long ago traded um, resiliency for efficiency. And um, personally for, for me sort of, and, and for the members of our team, uh, preparedness starts at home and um, we would be able to survive those 14 days. Um, and a precious, shockingly few members of, uh, of the Western society could today. And uh, we wrote about it at once. Undoomberg is not a key theme of ours, so we don't keep hitting it. But, um, you know, um, it, 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 we are dangerously close to, well, look, it's called Doomberg. What do you want? I mean, I'll stop there. Cool. Let's see if we can blow through a few hands. I'm assuming you don't have all day, Doomberg. If anybody has a question, uh, we'll probably do this for another 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and then um, I have an, another one of these at 8 p.m., which is in every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. spaces, uh, where David, we get the before evening you, before you, Yes, sir. Before you go on, uh, now we know why oil is tanking, because Biden just announced um, more oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, that's, yeah. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what it's gonna, it'll close up on the day then, right? What is that? Just a knee jerk well, for a few minutes? I mean, I think, I think it, it's great for refiners. It's bad for producers. Sorry. Sorry. We had, hey, Bear, I need you to keep your mic. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that, Doomberg. Uh, who has a question? Raise your hand. We've got 10 or 15 minutes here to get through a few questions. Uh, Richard? You're coming in. So everybody else who came in, no, nobody had a question who's already in on the speaker floor. Oh, Harry, Richard, go ahead. The floor is yours. Hey, uh, just had a question on the, um, I guess, a thesis or investment advice. Well, not really advice here, but just, you know, double checking it. That when it comes to uh, trying to invest in oil today, it's different than trying to invest in the energy companies, mainly because this administration along with basically all politics uh they're gonna do whatever they can to cause more pain so essentially it's kind of like you can be long oil but short chevron and, and exxon what are your thoughts on that yeah so i if, massive massive disclaimer we're not investment advisors we hold no licenses we don't give investment advice um, we're not registered um etc um, and on top of that, um, our philosophy in life is we earn in fiat, we save by buying real assets, and we invest privately where we can affect the outcome um, with our own sweat equity, our contacts, um, our knowledge of the management teams, and so on. And I realize that that's not available to everybody. And so um, we, we have almost no investments in the, in the public stock market, which allows us to write more freely, to be totally honest with you. Um, and so, but you are, you, if we were investors, we would be playing the commodities and not necessarily the stocks, although the stocks are sort of leveraged bets on the commodities. The danger in the stocks is, as you have articulated, which is um, the political risk of a hated industry that nobody thinks about when they're losing money, but everybody wants to um, stick their hand in their, in their pit, in their um, tin when, when they're making a lot of money. Um, and that's why, frankly, we don't see the investment we needed. And that's why we're in the crisis that we're in and we're not seeing sufficient signs that we have um, had that political capitulation that we refer to 
in the last answer, but we would not be, we are personally not investors long uh, of any energy producers um, for the, the primary reason, which is we, we just have better opportunities in our private life. Awesome. Thank you. David, you there? Sorry, sorry, Coomer. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, hey, Mark, uh, go ahead. Floor is yours. Sorry, I was on mute, guys. Hey, thanks very much. So I had a question for Doomberg in this sense that, um, you know, the guys over at Lee Gehring and Mark Rosenswag always talk about efficiencies of energy and the pursuit of, you know, the QE2 versus the 707 versus the Concorde, how it came to a halt when efficiency was realized to be not that great with the Concorde. I'll leave the details of that out. But my question is, the pursuit of the pursuit of inefficient equity, uh, sorry, energy, excuse me, like either comes from subsidies, which we see in EV stuff, or we or regulations uh, and preventative measures like not drilling on federal lands. So the political capitulation that you speak of at this stage, they seem to be digging in their heels and playing the game even harder. And I wondered if you thought there was potentially a different motive? Obviously, they don't say what they mean ever, but I wondered your thoughts on the pursuit of sort of inefficient energy as sort of like, ha-ha, everyone's going to suffer, and then you'll really need me. And I wondered what your thoughts were in that aspect. So um, much like with the um, trepidation we had about talking about the whispering about um, you know, cyber attack being the cause of the LNG situation in Freeport. Um, we hesitate to indulge ourselves in the belief that our political leaders are doing this on purpose and we um, sleep better at night and want to participate in a world where they're just incompetent. Um, and so um, the nullification of the incompetence hypothesis has not yet been achieved. Um, I, I see political leaders with no relevant training in science or physics who um, operated in a world where we had relative energy abundance for the totality of their careers and they have not yet understood or learned that the game is different and that perhaps their policies are what changed the game and made things different. Um, what politicians will do once they're in a crisis um, that they didn't anticipate um, is a separate issue, but I um, have not seen sufficient evidence that um, this is uh, part of a massive conspiracy to kill off billions of people in the world and to have some great global reset. Um, there's a, a lot of, um, if, again, like if, if you focus on a few things and, and you study the trees, you could convince yourself that the forest is different. Um, but our, our current position is the strongest hypothesis that is almost a theory is that incompetence explains most of what we are observing. Cool. Thanks, Doomberg. We'll go to a couple other questions. Thanks for coming in, Mark. Um, John, you've had your hand up, then bear. Keep it uh, brief, please. Thank you. Do you think the Freeport situation if you were politically panicked and were looking for something to help yourself, do you think you could point at the Freeport export curtailment benefiting the U.S. consumer? You, could you point at that as a real-world validation and then use that to curtail other exports? 
Yeah, that's a huge risk and a great point. And um, watching natural gas in the U.S. drop, you know, what, um, 15% today is proof that, hey, if we just stop the exports of diesel, which is something we predicted in a piece we wrote a couple of weeks ago called Grim Diesel, um, that this might be um, fodder for the Bernie Sanders AOC crowd um, to say, hey, you know, these, these energy companies are gouging us. They're refusing to invest. And so we're going to limit exports because we're going to protect ourselves at home. Um, and in fact, we wrote a piece all the way back in October of last year where we, we, we predicted much of this. It was called Starvation Diet. It was a short piece. It was a biting piece. Um, and um, I'm trying to pull it up. But basically, here's literally what we wrote in October of 2021. When the supply of critical goods goes short, countries implement protectionist policies in a fuel attempt to minimize the impact at home. A cascading series of retaliatory moves usually follows, leading to economic vapor lock. We're seeing that pattern play out now in agriculture. And I think you're exactly right. Witnessing how um, cutting off our European allies, essentially, um, accidentally, from natural gas is leading to a much improved energy situation at home might be irresistible for those that currently control the levers of power um, as they contemplate whether a uh, export ban on finished products, gasoline and diesel, or even oil itself might not be politically expedient. Cool. Uh, Bear, you're up next, my friend. Thank you so much. It's pretty funny. I actually had the same question. I, I, I was wondering if, you know, the Freeport um, incident is essentially a coincidence or, you know, if it's engineered to reduce the U.S. prices. But I guess you answered it. So fair enough. Excellent. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Um, who else had a question? We had Richard. You came in. Uh, would you like to ask a question? Well, I have another one uh, since we kind of touched on kind of like the Great Reset. Uh, Doomberg, did you ever kind of read the articles on the uh, Cyber Polygon 2020 and 2021 where they simulated for two years in a row a cyber pandemic that would cause all these supply chain disruptions? And the, the interesting thing about the, the World Economic Forum simulations is that somehow they end up happening. Now, they don't happen 100% as they simulated, but it's kind of close to it. And the Cyber Polygon 2021 was a cyber pandemic uh, that was caused by Russia. And the, um, the participating party was a Russian bank who had a, I just retweeted it, uh, the screenshot, um, that um, participated basically was a cyber pandemic by Russia. So what are your thoughts on if this were to happen, let's just say if it were to happen, I mean, we have all these supply chain disruptions. We have all these kind of things that are causing inflation where you can pass the blame from, you know, governments and the Fed. But if we were to have these kind of things that cause a global reset in a way, uh, would you maybe write an article or maybe change your, opinion in a way that maybe there is a uh, puppet master kind of pulling the strings? Yeah, so a um, couple of points. Um, again, it, we're scientists, right? And so um, we're evidence-based. And um, what you are describing could easily be explained by sort of a, 
the phenomenon of survivorship bias. There were lots of simulations done by lots of people, and it just happens that this particular simulation by this particular crowd that people are focusing on um, happens to overlap with what has transpired. Um, not saying that that nullifies the hypothesis, but it is uh, another hypothesis that needs to be considered when you wonder whether there are, let's put it this way, we are um, bearish the skill set of the same people involved that got us into this position uh, of their ability to pull such a thing off. Um, not saying it's impossible and not saying that, you know, the um, revealing of new evidence and data might not change our mind. But um, there are simpler explanations that just as well explain what we're seeing, which is the incompetence hypothesis, which we actually, based on our own experience and interactions with um, key political leaders, um, is one we're very comfortable with. Um, like if I got an hour with, with Joe Biden's key advisors, um, you know, I, we don't doubt that the Dubert team could have an impact. Um, we're not going to get that hour because it's a team sport and it's, they're in crisis mode and they're in the bunker. Um, but we don't want to live in a world where that's not true. Um, and so it's it, maybe it's a Pascal's wager situation for us and we'd be the first to admit it. Um, but no, I mean, I, I do think like um, lots of people do lots of simulations and you find one that sort of accurately describes what has actually transpired and then it goes viral and people believe it and then they sort of look for confirmation bias of it and they can find it because these people are sloppy and and say stupid things, um, you know, that's the camp we're in right now. And, and we hesitate to, to switch the, 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 our beliefs without substantial evidence to the contrary. Hey, Mark Nelson, I've seen you sitting there for a while. You're a big energy and nuclear guy. Mark's Did the man. you have uh, something? Yeah. Oh, cool. You want to come on up, Mark? Sure. Hey, thanks for having me. I had a maybe a little bit of a lighthearted question for Doomberg right here near the end of your hour. And it's this, um, and I'm sorry about putting you on the spot. If you had to ask one shibboleth-style question to filter political candidates, I mean, ignoring the Democratic issues with this, are there any questions that you enjoy using to test whether people are likely to know anything about the realities of energy or commodities yeah. or supply chains? Great question, and my answer will warm your heart, Mark. Um, do you think nuclear waste is a big deal? That's my question. I love it. I love it. Okay, well, thanks. I, I, uh, I like that one. Because it, if you think nuclear waste is a big deal, you know nothing about energy. And if you think nuclear waste is a big deal, you are beholden or susceptible to um, the simplest of propaganda techniques um, available to people that have ulterior motives in mind. Um, nuclear waste is the single greatest canard in the history of energy policy, period. So that is my um, bifurcating question that uh, separates um, people into the buckets of um, reasonable and can be talked to or knows nothing about energy. Fascinating. Thanks, Stuberg. Thanks, Mark. Big Long, you're next, and then Dr. Massa. Stuberg, just a quick one. If, if, from your perspective, do you see any light um, on the horizon uh, in terms of the, you know, the politicians, um, the policymakers, really understanding that the lack of supply of energy is causing, you know, tremendous problems around the world? Um, are you seeing a change in the mindset? I mean, it's very frustrating, you know, seeing what's been going on the last ten years. 
um, or especially the last five. Um, is there anything for us to be hopeful about in terms of the interactions you're seeing with policymakers, politicians? Um, not yet. Um, capitulation is is hard to it's hard to identify in real time. It becomes obvious post facto. Um, what are the milestones? So I had a great exchange with a Doomberg Pro subscriber around this um, windfall profits tax in the UK and whether or not it was actually a backdoor way for the you know, Boris Johnson's team to incentivize the increase of, of, of new supply of fossil fuels. Um, the milestones that we would need to see, well, here's a milestone, $10 gas in the US. You know, if we saw $10 a gallon gas in the US, the political upheaval that would quickly follow from that um, might change things. Um, and still, at ten dollars a gallon gas in the U.S., this is mostly a inconvenience for most of the people. It's economically devastating for some, and they would be taken care of, we believe, um, in the U.S. Um, but ten dollars gas in the U.S. would be one of those transformative moments. And one thing we've written about from the very beginning is this is the first time in history where we have an inflationary pulse during a hyper interconnected social media era. And what is the what is the what is the impact of the first $20 Big Mac going viral on TikTok? Um, inflation expectations are a key driver of inflation. And so we're running a really deeply uncontrolled experiment, one that we have flagged that the Fed totally doesn't understand, but it will break. Um, Weimar didn't last forever uh, in the most extreme example. Um, Turkey will come out of their bout of hyperinflation. Venezuela will reconstitute itself in some form. Um, and maybe, as Nick Carter believes, it'll be Bitcoin. I mean, I, where we are, you know, uh, um, let's nullify the hypothesis. Um, but we have not yet reached anywhere near political capitulation because uh, the, the demand for gasoline is still rising. People are just coming out of their COVID two years and want to live again. They want to travel. The, just last week, I saw a report where... Um, the airlines were saying that because they have loosened the testing requirements, that they see this surge in demand and interest online for domestic and international air travel. Um, there's a lot of pent-up desire to live. Energy is life. Um, people want to live. They, they're tired of being you know, cooped up in their homes. And um, this inflationary pulse coming at a time where we still have not yet fully reopened. You know, What would oil be doing if Shanghai had locked down? Uh, we tweeted several months ago that the ongoing situation in Shanghai was then the most underreported story in the world. Um, we're on the you know, life's edge here. Um, so we're nowhere near political capitulation. Uh, look, prices could come down from here. This could be the top. Uh, Doomberg could be the best contra of, of all time, and you should fade us. Um, we don't think so. Um, not with crack spreads at you know, two and a half times historical means, um, but it could. And, and by the way, gasoline went to $10 a gallon today, would you still go on your weekend trip with your family or not? Um, I suspect, since most of the people on this call have something to do with Wall Street, you still would. What is the breaking point? What is the price elasticity of demand where we see true demand destruction? It's not $5 a gallon gasoline, I can tell you that. Okay, we got a few more, Dr. Masso. Hey, um, hey, Doomberg, uh, thank you for doing this and thank you for letting me uh, three aces in, George. Um, that actually flows really, really well into my question, uh, Doomberg. Um, 
uh, I don't know if this has been mentioned before, but like I just joined the space about 20 minutes ago. And um, could you maybe comment on uh, on what we're seeing on the crack spreads and what that means for the broader market in general? Yeah, I mean, we refer so the to one them. To one, but, um, sorry, go on. yeah. We refer to them, but we did not explain them. So I'm happy to do that. Um, and it's a great question because it, as we, we've pointed to our subscribers that we believe that um, the canary in the coal mine that will tell you that demand is being destroyed is in the crack spread. So what is the what is the three, two, one crack spread, which is sort of the most famous one that um, you can easily learn about and then watch on your Bloomberg journal if you have one. Um, the three to one crack spread is a rule of thumb that is meant to approximate the margins that refiners are able to extract from the current market dynamic. And three to one means it takes three barrels of oil to produce two barrels of gasoline and one barrel of diesel. And so if you take the price of gasoline in barrels, so you have to multiply the price quoted in gallons by 42, and you take the price of diesel in barrels, and you take twice gasoline plus once diesel and add that up, and then divide it by three times the price of oil, you get an approximation for the crack spread, the refiner margin of taking three barrels of oil and making two barrels of gasoline and one barrel of diesel. Historically, that number has oscillated between 10 and $20 a barrel um, if you go out sort of long term. And recently, um, it has blown out to $60 a barrel. Today, it's, it's $55 a barrel. What that means is if you're going to pay $110 or $120 for a barrel of oil WTI, you can make 50% sort of operating margins by cracking it to gasoline and diesel. For asset intensive industries that are highly cyclical like oil and gas and refining and chemical industry, those are unheard of margins. This is like, you know, you gotta, you gotta make hay while the sun is shining. This is the epic. And so the, 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 for those that are listening that have a Bloomberg, you can follow along with that crack spread. Um, the indexes, CRK three two one M one front month crack three to one you know so it's CRK three two one M one and if you pull up a five year chart of that you'll see that as little as two years ago it was ten dollars a barrel um, and it expanded sixfold so what does that mean if I'm a refiner and Biden just announced that he's releasing uh, more supply we have a refining bottleneck. We have not built a new major refinery in the United States since 1977. We've had a few small ones come online that, and we've had some capital projects that improve the capacity of our refiners. Um, that has only barely offset our ability to refine oil into finished products. Nobody actually puts oil in their car. They put gasoline. And nobody actually puts oil in their long-haul truck. They put diesel. Um, and so if you look at our refining capacity, and this is all outlined in our piece called Grim Diesel, um, it is basically unchanged since the early 1980s. And how much has U.S. GDP grown since then? So we have a refining bottleneck, and releasing more oil is not going to lower the price of gasoline. It's going to increase the profits of the refiners because they have more oil to buy for less price. They can't refine anymore. Um, releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is not going to create a new refinery. 
And if we wanted to build a new refinery, good luck getting the permits and getting through the environmental reviews and the lawsuits. Um, so it's not going to happen. And so we are in this situation where, because we're operating on a razor's edge, um, refiners are running full throttle. I saw a number last week, which should blow people's mind if they know what it means, that uh, integrated across the entire industry, U.S. refining capacity is operating at 94%. And we tweeted, these facilities are not made to operate much above 90% for very long. You know, the break-even might be, you know, if you're running your, your heavy, you know, capital-intense business with traditionally low margins, you're happy if you're above 80% operating capacity compared to nameplate. At 94%, maintenance is being put off, shifts are being added, because you got to get the money while the money's good. Like these types of industries make all their money in very short periods of time, and then they sort of tread water for extended periods of time and even, and even lose money. Nobody was crying for the oil industry when it, when WTI traded at minus 37, right? Um, there was no, um, you know, bail out the Oil Producers Act that was going through Congress. And so they need to make the money during this, this time period. So we watched the three to one crack spread because no matter what WTI is doing, um, the refiners can pay much more for oil and still make a very good profit with the crack spread sitting at 55, uh, where it sits today. Hopefully that was helpful and clear. That was awesome. Thank you. A couple more, Doomberg. Is that cool? And then we'll wrap yeah, it I got, up. Yeah, I got about 10 more minutes, and then I got to sign okay, off. Okay, great. We had uh, Echo one second. Joe, you've been sitting there, and then Echo. Hi, Joe. Hey, um, yeah, uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, when, uh, when you talk about ruble strength, you uh, highlight the energy demand buy side aspect of it. Is there any chance you're discounting the sell side capital controls? Or did everything we do just really play right into Putin's hand? Look, um, that's, a, that's a very common um, sort of thing we get on Twitter when we post the chart of the Russian ruble U.S. dollar cross. You can't trade that today. Um, most of the people that are on Twitter don't participate in that market, and so they think somehow it's not real. Half the world is still transacting with Russia. Um, that is a very real number. And it doesn't surprise us that we're seeing those numbers on the screen. Like our counter to that would be what other numbers on your Bloomberg terminal do you think are fake? Sure, currencies are manipulated all the time. Is the true U.S. interest rate what we see on the screen today? Probably not. Not when the Fed owns 20% of the treasuries, right? Um, is the true interest rate of what we see in Japan what we see on the screens now? But that the, mar the government is a participant in the market. Um, and so... Russia has capital controls. Great. So does China. Um, do we think that the Chinese currency quote is different than what really matters for the transaction, the transacting of physical goods? Um, people transact at that price. It's real. That's my answer. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Echo your shot. Then Jeffrey, you're up next. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I just had a quick question about the crypto valuation paper earlier. I think Doomberg or someone else had mentioned that they, had, they read this paper and they really liked it. Can you please um, give the name of the title of the paper? That's going to have to be you, David, because I, I don't—I wasn't on. Um, I don't remember, but you know, for anybody who's not aware, Doomberg uh, in about two months 
has become the number one or number two most successful financial sub substack of all time. Uh, if you go to his profile and click on his, uh, there's a link there. Just look up in the right-hand corner. You can subscribe. For those of us who are pro subscribers, uh, Zoomberg puts on a periodic live Zoom session whereby he'll have some very high-profile guests coming on soon uh, to where you get to talk to him directly one-on-one -on -one over a PowerPoint presentation um, that he puts on. The next Zoom session, he does two sessions, one in the morning at 9 and one in the evening at 6 Eastern for those who are time sensitive with work schedules and kids and so on. The next one's June 16th, which is a couple of days. So if you go subscribe now, you'll get into that one. Um, hey, uh, Echo, catch me offline. I'll go through my pro subscription and I'll find it for you. Let's do it in, uh, in, in another space. Or yeah, just, I, I, yeah, I think I know which paper he must be referring to, which is this paper from, I believe, a professor in Texas who correlated the price of Bitcoin during the last peak um, with uh, with the issuance of tethers, um, that must be it. And it's called, if you just Google, is Bitcoin really untethered, question mark, and the author is John M. Griffin from the University of Texas at Austin. I believe that must be what he's referring to because it is the most famous Bitcoin valuation paper out there. Thank you very much. Cool. Hey, Jeffrey, you're up next. Michael, you're up after... Uh... Uh, Jeffrey, if we've got a, uh, if he's, if Doomberg has time. Hey, uh, thanks guys. Thanks, Doomberg. Doomberg actually did a fertilizer space last week that was now well over 12,000 viewers. So that was amazing. But my question for today is, um, did you see the news about Russia? Gazprom reduces gas deliveries to Germany uh, via the Nord Stream by 40% due to delayed repairs. Is that, I mean, how long could that last? I, I know they've got some supply right now, but um, I mean. Yeah, we, we, uh, we did in fact discuss this a little earlier and, and, and cognizant of the fact that people come and go, I'm happy to give the summary. Um, we just saw that news today. Um, you know, it, it, it's not surprising. It's plausible that um, maintenance issues are an issue. It's also plausible that Putin decided to be opportunistic given the um, revelation that the Freeport LNG situation is much worse than anticipated. And our conclusion was, shame on us for giving him the power to do so if that's what's going on. So, Doomberg, uh, I think that's it for one day. We've covered an enormous amount of real estate. Thanks for jumping in uh, unannounced and sitting here with everybody for well over an hour. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I think we've talked about how to access you uh, directly through yeah. Stack. So, be hey, on a Hey, three three aces, Georgia back. Oh, hey, George. Yeah, I had to go to the doctors. George. I, I had to go to the doctors, man. So I'm sorry I missed it all. I'll have to listen to the replay. Um, did you did you want to three aces? You want to keep this going, or I mean, this room's been going on for five hours now. Do you want to close this thing? I'm ready to fall all over over here. This is you know it's a lot of work doing these like. This. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And. Uh,